Welcome to the first episode of A Wee Word, and thank you for tuning in. In this episode, George Allison speaks to energy expert Gordon Reynolds about the cause of the energy crisis and asks, what can be done to bring the country out of the looming emergency it faces? Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of A Wee Word, a new podcast from Byline Scotland. Today we're talking about the energy crisis and, more importantly to most, how you can save money on your energy bills. My name is George Allison and I'm joined today by Gordon Reynolds. Gordon, could you tell our listeners about yourself and your background? Certainly. Uh, Straight out of uni, I used to build power stations for a living. And then I did project management consultancy for a long time. Now I do data analytics, but I've also started up a climate activism group called Climate Conversations. Uh, and we give people advice on how to cut their energy use in their home. And we've also had a very successful letter writing campaign to MPs to help cut the energy bills. Um, the only successful bit of Liz Truss's entire premiership was when she came out on the 8th of September and, amongst other things, announced a change in policy, which is what we'd had our letter writing campaign for. So I'm, I'm feeling very chuffed about that. <laughs> As you should. Moment. As you should. So yeah, you're the perfect man to talk to then. I've got three what I think I was about to describe as very simple questions, but I'm sure you and our listeners might disagree with that because they're they're quite big. So my first question, what is the cause of the energy crisis? The cause of the energy crisis is natural gas is no longer a reliable energy supply for us. It's all at root cause the problems with supply of natural gas. So we used to supply about three or four times as much natural gas from the North Sea, the UK North Sea, as we now do. And while we were supplying that uh, about a thousand terawatt hours a year of gas from the North Sea, we got used to using that amount of gas. And we kept using that amount of gas and the North Sea gas supplies have dwindled because the basin is depleting. And we now only supply about 350 to 420 terawatt hours of gas a year. And that's a huge drop, but we haven't stopped using any less gas. We're still using all the gas that we used to use, but now we're buying almost, well, we're buying three quarters of our gas from overseas. And that was fine, right up until about a year and a half ago, the rest of Europe started wanting to buy more gas than usual. So the European price of gas started to go up. And it went up a lot. Uh, From March 2020 to July 2021, it doubled. And then it doubled again to October 21. And then it doubled again to the end of October 21. Then it doubled again to Christmas 2021. So that's that's a huge increase. That's an eightfold increase in gas price. Wow. And then it started to come down again as we started to come out of winter a bit. And then the war in Ukraine happened. And all of a sudden, everyone realized that we weren't going to be able to get the Russian supplies of gas that used to go to the rest of Europe. The rest of Europe used to rely on Russia for their gas for about 40% of all their gas. Uh, And all of a sudden, they couldn't get the gas from Russia. 
So they had to buy what little gas there was, and they started outbidding us, in some cases, for the gas that we could get. And we had to start then outbidding Asia for the liquid natural gas that was in tankers coming out of the USA. And in some cases, we outbid them while the tankers were in transit, and the tankers would turn around from Asia oh, wow. to come to the UK. That's very interesting. And then the war in Ukraine kept going, and so the prices kept going back up again. Uh, one, so normally, and, and, and the other cause of it is that a lot of our electricity is made by burning gas. Right. Because when the North Sea was full of gas, we had tons of gas to burn. So we decided that we'd start burning gas instead of burning coal, which helped with our um, greenhouse gas emissions enormously. Gas drops the greenhouse gas emissions by about half compared to coal, sometimes a bit more. So we went through a, what, what was called a dash for gas in the 1990s. We had done things like build nuclear power stations in the 80s, but the last one was size will be stopped and that was done in 1988. After that, all the power stations that were built new were all gas-fired power stations. But that was great. We had tons of North yeah. Sea gas until about the year 2000, when all of a sudden it, the amount of North Sea gas just falls off a cliff from 1,000 to about 400. And then it kind of slowly drops down year after year after that. So we are now about 40% of the gas we use gets burnt just to make electricity. Right. And the electricity, for every megawatt hour of electricity we, we get out of burning that gas, we have to burn about two and a quarter megawatt hours of gas. Oh. So we we're suddenly having to outbid the rest of the world for these, these supplies of gas. So the gas is getting more expensive. We have to burn two and a half lumps of gas for every lump of electricity. So the electricity prices go up. What's even worse than that is that the way the UK or the GB electricity market works is that the price of all electricity gets matched to the price of gas, pretty much. Because what happens is, when there's not much demand for electricity, we bring the cheapest electricity in first. And that's okay. pretty much the nuclear. It's about five pence a unit wholesale. And then after the nuclear isn't meeting demand, we bring in other stuff. Um, and generally speaking, that kind of used to be coal and gas. And the gas used to be nine pence a unit for the electricity. About five and a half pence for the, the actual gas power station, about three pence for the gas itself. And that's now last, just August there, a couple of months ago, that was pretty much um, going off the gas futures prices. That had turned into five pence a unit for running the power station and 65 pence wow. for the gas. And, and, and that's especially when what we were doing was paying three pence, uh, sorry, paying until March of, of this year, we were paying 20 pence a unit for electricity. Wow. So 70 pence wholesale plus distribution, metering, 
sending out the bills, that costs about 10, 11 pence. So the, the actual retail price should have been going up to 81 pence a unit. And we were used to paying 20. And the gas, we were used to paying threepence a unit until March. And it was going up to kind of 15 pence a unit, something like that. So that's it looks that's, like you were about to ask a yeah, question. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, honestly, I was mesmerised, um, Gordon. That is very interesting. I, I have no expertise in energy and I have no idea how it works behind the scenes. And I was just lost listening to that there. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get the gist. And I'm sure there are people listening who are much smarter than I am who, who do understand that a lot more than I do, which leads me on to my next question. How can we the key thing is this? three pence a unit for gas goes up to fifteen pence a unit yeah. for gas, twenty pence a unit for electricity. If we were paying actually the the, the market rate is heading for eighty one pence for electricity, and the worst bit is this is in summer, and the gas prices are cheap yeah. in summer. In winter, when everyone needs the gas, the prices go up. Oh. So we we were about halfway through when when the the latest off-gen price cap came out and was announced at the end of August, which kind of triggered the whole thing. They were they were putting the electricity price up to fifty one pence and the gas price up to fourteen pence, and there were protests everywhere. Quite rightly, um, that the government should be doing something about this, uh, yeah. and. Now, and now we're looking at, you know, 80 pence. At one point, it was looking like maybe £1.20 per unit of electricity come April. And that's with caps on for the retail customers like you and me. There's, yeah. no, there's no price cap for the businesses. So they were facing tenfold increases in the price of energy when they went out to get the next year's prices. Um, and... and if I, I saw a chip shop that was going from £5,000 a year for its gas and electricity price to £70,000 a year for its gas and electricity. Wow. And if you just say that that's happening right across the board, then you can see how that, that's going to have a huge effect on everyone. So how uh, do we fix it? Gordon, okay. what, what would you do to fix this? <laughs> very, very, um, I'm putting a lot of weight on your shoulders here, aren't I? I'm putting a bit of a, a burden on you, but in your view, at the very least, how would we fix it? In my view. So the first thing, we've got to wean ourselves off of gas. That mean we have to do that. Yeah. The problem is that we can't really do it in time for winter. But the good news is we were getting rid of a lump of the gas that we used every year by adding extra renewables, especially wind and now offshore wind. So we've got to keep building that and we've got to build it faster. Right. The great thing is that when gas was nine pence a unit wholesale, back a couple of years ago, the offshore wind was 20 pence a unit. Okay. So people were building the offshore wind quite slowly. Now, offshore wind, because of economies of scale, economies of learning, it's now down to sixpence a unit. And the onshore stuff, I, I personally made an investment um, in a small wind farm in Ayrshire, and it's going to be producing electricity for twopence a unit. Right. So in the last couple of years, as gas prices have got worse, 
the cost of building renewables has come down enormously. And we should capitalize on that. We should be building a ton of it. Uh, and the other thing we should do is make sure that we don't, and uh, at the moment what happens is every time the gas price goes up, then the price of electricity made from gas goes up. And what also happens is electricity made from nuclear and from renewables goes up to meet the gas price. Okay. Now, it doesn't cost any more to run Torness now than it did two years ago. You know, yeah, apart from a slight rise for inflation. But the uranium's cost the same. We built it a long time ago, so we don't have any, you know, extra capex costs, really. Uh, and that is generating electricity for somewhere in the region of four and a half pence to five pence a unit. But because the price of gas has gone up, the way the UK electricity market has gone, when the gas price went up to 65 pence, 70 pence a unit wholesale, so did the price of the renewable electricity and any nuclear that wasn't in long-term contracts. Uh, and that's, that's now, in Scotland, 90% of our electricity. Right. So 90% of the electricity in Scotland went up in price enormously when actually there was no change in costs at all. In fact, um, if you look at the Scottish energy mix at the moment, just specifically talking about Scotland, um, over the last year, you could really expect Scottish electricity prices to have come down because most of the gas is being burnt in England and Wales for, the, for their market. So first of all, build lots more renewables. Right. In England, at the moment, you're not allowed onshore wind because you can't get it through the NIMBYs in the planning system. And it's the cheapest form of electricity there is now. And Trust was also saying, don't build solar because it might affect farmland. So you should be building a ton of onshore wind in England. Uh -huh. um, and you should be allowing people to dual use their farmland so that they can have some solar panels and some sheep grazing underneath, for example. You still get the farmland, you still get the sun. Yeah, That's the cheapest power. And then we should be using that to substitute the amount of gas that we use. There are lots of people who say, ah, but the wind and the sun are unreliable and they are expensive. Why are we spending all that money on renewables? But you look at the numbers, the gas is up to 70 pence a unit. And the reason it's gone up to 70 pence is because on an annualized basis, the supply of gas is now highly unreliable. On an hour to hour basis, you can store a bit of gas and you can make sure you'll keep going for 24 hours. You cannot do that with wind really at the moment, but we could do that with wind. So the second step is convert the natural gas storage around the UK, which are basically empty natural gas fields that we've taken all the natural gas out of. And what Centrica used to do is when gas was cheap in the summer, they'd fill the natural gas field back with gas that they got from other places, sometimes imported from the continent. And then in winter, when gas was expensive, they'd sell that gas to the grid. So right. they'd buy low, 
sell high, and that would pay for this gas storage. And then the gas storage, because the gas storage was made out of old, depleted gas, natural gas fields, they were made maybe 30, 40 years ago. And they would have been second-lifed as natural gas storage. So the pipes and the pumps were starting to wear out. And what Centrica said to the government essentially was, okay, pay us to replace all the pipes and pumps, or we'll just stop running the gas storage. And the government said, well, you know, that's a commercial arrangement. You're buying low, you're selling high, you're making a profit. Pay for the repairs out of your own pocket. And Centrica said, nah, not really worth it. And they shut down the gas storage. Right, so their bluff failed then. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and then, to, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy. I don't have much sympathy with the government in general, but in no. this case, you know, Centrica make a lot of money. This was a money-making operation. You know, yeah. there is a case to be made that they should pay the costs of upgrades and repairs. Is there something so, the government could do by Christmas to, to solve yes. this crisis? And, well, yes and no. Right. So the one of the things they've done is they've paid Centrica to open back up the gas storage that they okay. close. However, it takes quite a while to fill it full of gas. So it will, for this winter, only be about quarter full. But that will take the edge off some of the natural gas supply issues. The other thing that's happened is Germany and France and Italy have filled their gas storage absolutely jam-packed full. And so there isn't the same competition at this exact moment in time for gas on the international markets, and the price has fallen way back down again. This is strictly temporary. As soon as a cold weather uh, bit hits, the price will go soaring away up again. But we have now doubled the amount of storage in the UK, and that's good. That will stabilise prices a bit. We're continuing to build renewables, and that's good. But the other thing that the government could have done and controversially decided not to do in the trust weeks, I was about to say the trust years, and then I realised, yeah. <laughs> Prime Ministers don't last years nowadays. No. They're like so, flies these days, aren't they? Yes. Um, so our June fly Truss, um, <laughs> she, so Truss um, had actually um, reversed doing onshore wind and um, solar and then kind of sort of came back around to it by the end of her U-turn career. Um and she paid for the, the gas storage to come be opened back up again. But the other thing, and I had it on the tip of my tongue, and it's just gone away. Uh, That's all right. We can, we can cut this down. Just, just can we retrack so as I can just build of my train of thought up again? Uh, so there's gas, there's the renewables. and the, Oh, yes. Okay. So the other key thing is that if we as individuals cut our gas usage, then that can cut the amount of gas that we need to buy in very significantly. So one, one of the things that Jacob Rees-Mogg had actually done was put together a public information campaign on ways that we can cut our gas use. And that got banned for no readily apparent reason by the Prime Minister of the day. What's interesting is that in the last year, compared to this time last year, the amount of gas that the country uses in, as a whole has come down 10% anyway. 
which is enormous. So that's, that's come down by about two or three times the amount of Russian gas that we ever bought in. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll also send you some graphics that show where we get our gas from. It's got, yeah, of course, um, yeah. graphics of Norway and Russia and all the rest of it, so you can see where we are. Now, the other um, option that people have talked about a lot is nationalising our energy supply. And, and there are very limited ways in which that can help, unfortunately. Most people think of energy companies as the people we pay the bills to like um, Scottish Power or OVO or, uh, in my case, Octopus. Uh, and the problem is that these guys just build, buy in the gas and the electricity from people who produce the gas and electricity and then sell it on to us, adding on a markup for producing the, doing the metering and doing the billing. And about a few years ago, a few municipalities, Nottingham was the first one, experimented with having publicly owned energy sales companies. There were about eight of them out of the 70 energy supply companies. They were all the first ones to go bust. They're all out of business now. Uh, because they don't, didn't have any control over the cost of the gas or the electricity, but Ofgem capped their prices that they could charge. So their input prices went away up, the costs went away up but they couldn't charge us any more than a certain limit. So basically, uh, out of the 70 companies that used to supply energy, only about 25 are still in existence now. Oh, yes, but there's a huge drop off. Yeah. And, and one of the things that Ofgem's now quite worried about is, will there be any energy supply companies left? And they want to try and make sure that there are still people who will sell us gas and electricity, because if they all go out of business, they'll all be in trouble. But there are other types of energy companies. One is the oil and gas companies that pull the oil and gas out from under the North Sea and from around the world. They are coining it in at the moment because the market price of gas and oil has gone away up. So they're making masses of money and they're also a type of energy company. But as I said earlier, we get most of our gas from abroad, three quarters of it, mainly from Norway, then our own North Sea assets, and then Qatar. And we cannot nationalise Norway, and we cannot nationalise Qatar. It's just not going to happen. No. Nationalising Shell and BP, most of their operations are in the rest of the world. So we don't have access to nationalising them either. So that's, but what we could do, and what we have done in the past, is have a nationally owned oil and gas company we ended up deciding that, that it wasn't making as much money as it should, and we ended up selling it to BP. That was the British National Oil Corporation, which became Britoil, which then became a subsidiary of BP. But Norway, with Statoil and with Equinor, their oil and their gas national companies, they've kept going with it. And they've, made, they've made real money off of owning their own production. So we could start having ownership of any new fields that came into operation, potentially. Or we could tax the companies that actually operate in the North Sea. One of the things that's interesting about North Sea is Shell and BP uh, and ExxonMobil and um, the rest of them actually pay negative tax 
on their North Sea operations. Negative tax. Negative tax. That does surprise me. Because what we do is we give them various tax breaks to operate and decommission their depleted oil rigs. Ah. So it turns out they pay less than zero tax at the moment. And the interesting thing about the windfall tax that Sunak eventually implemented in kind of May-June time is that it was a windfall tax on oil and gas companies. But if they invested in oil and gas, actually they got there was a loophole and they didn't need to pay the windfall tax. And they're already paying less than zero tax. And we gave them extra oil and gas loopholes. So if you look into it, kind of, we could tax those companies much more effectively, and that would be good. And we could then pass those taxations. Because what's happening is our, the prices being charged to us are going way up. So their profits are going way up. So we could tax those profits and then pay for some of the extra money that we are paying for the energy in the first place out of those taxations. That would be good. Oh, yeah. But there are other types of energy company. One is companies that make electricity out of gas. So they buy in gas at new hugely inflated prices, add on a wee markup like they always used to do, and then sell on the electricity. So they're, you know, they're not making any more profits because they're spending a lot more money on their fuel, but they're not at risk of going out of business either because they just pass on higher prices. Then there's the third type of energy production company, which is renewables and nuclear generators. So they're generating electricity. Their costs have not gone up, but the market price that they're achieving has soared. And so there are two things that we could do. One is we, we have a price capping me mechanism that's in place and working now. We could use that price capping mechanism or we could just tax those enormous profits that they're making. Um, either of those would be good. And in fact, that was the successful letter writing campaign that Climate ah. Conversations had. Uh, and one of the key things is that, um, so gas normally, or a year ago was costing about five times, electricity was costing about five times as much as gas. And now it's only costing three times as much as gas with the new energy price guarantee. Uh, so those are all things that government can do significantly to alter the, the playing field. What they've chosen to do instead is they're going to let the oil and gas companies charge whatever they like. And then they're going to take out a £40 billion loan that we don't know about. And all the energy supply companies will use that loan bank to take out a loan for each and every one of us. And then in about 18 months, two years time, they'll start paying back the loan by adding it secretly into our bills. Ooh. And then on top of that, they're going to uh, just tax as much as it takes and the government will just pay the extra money to the gas companies. That's it. They're just going to let the gas prices rip and pay the extra gas money out of taxes, which means that, again, in 18 months, two years' time, 
our taxes will go away up to pay for these borrowings. Sure. Now, that was all well and good when Liz Truss announced it on the 8th of September. And then Quasi Quartang stepped up to say how he was going to pay for that shortfall, which I calculated to be 40 billion for the, the loans to you and I in our bills and another 180 billion for the actual just paying the gas companies what they want. And he stepped up to say, actually, we don't have a clue how we're going to pay for it. And I'm not letting the OBR see my numbers in case they say that my numbers are wrong. At which point the markets went do lally. Yeah. And so the cost of government borrowing tripled which meant that mortgage prices essentially went up by double. So the, and oh, and in the meantime, uh, because the the gilt yields went from two point two percent to six point one percent at one point, and the thirty year gilts are what the pensions rely on for a lot of uh, their stability for paying out. So at one point we were six hours away from complete pensions meltdown in the UK. Wow! That's and that's when the Bank of England started paying out they're up to 65 billion pounds to stabilize the gilts market so that pensions wouldn't just evaporate. And that's 650 quid for every household in the UK of Bank of England reserves that got paid out. And then the increase, because the, the gilts the government used to pay out 2.2% on its borrowings and now it was having to pay 6.1%. It's come back down after Hunt went out and steadied the market, but only down to 4.4%. So it's still double, even after their attempt to stabilise everything. That's still an extra £1,700, £2,000 per household per year. Not to be sniffed at. Not to be sniffed at. So... The way that the government went about their interventions has just dramatically made everything worse without fixing anything. But what we can do as individuals is cut down our gas use and cut down our electricity use. Uh, I started doing this in February time. I'd, I'd been doing it a little over the winter just, just because I was feeling a bit green. And... Then Ukraine happened, and I realised that this was the home front of the Ukrainian war. Because if Europe ran out of gas, then all of a sudden support for Ukraine would fall. And then, uh, and if Ukraine wasn't getting supported, then Russia was definitely going to win. And then what happens after that? Ooh, that's bad news. Absolutely. So I, I started cutting my own gas use, and I cut, turned out I, I cut my gas use by 55%. That is incredible. It is. I, I, I went from, I mean, you, you, the amount of gas that people use varies if it's a cold winter or if it's a warm winter. And last year was a warm winter. year before that was coldish. Uh, and I went from 20,000 kilowatt hours on an average legal year to, it looks like I'm going to have used about eight and a half thousand. So that's from 20 down to eight and a half. That's, wow. uh, apart from anything else, that's saving me, um, in the last six months, it saved me about 550 pounds and it will save me, um, well, the prices have gone up, so it's now about 700 pounds. That's going to save me. 
We tried to do the same for electricity and we've cut that down by about 15%. Because electricity is so much more expensive than gas, that's that's saving us another 100, 200 pounds. So it's really wor worthwhile. And if everyone can be half as successful as I've been, and I haven't done anything to change comfort in the home, then the amount of gas that we use comes down by about 20%. And if the, the amount of gas that we have to go out and buy in the international markets comes down, then the international market price also comes down because it's really sensitive to how much uh, the countries are competing for the gas. And if the international park prices come down, we all get into this lovely virtuous circle where uh, the prices come down, so the prices that get charged to us come down, and everyone feels much, much more relaxed and happy. What I'm a little afraid of is that the 10% cut in gas use that we've seen in the last 12 months is more people right at the end where they just can't afford to turn on the gas. It's not people in kind of middle income electing to do things to cut their gas. It's people out of necessity just feeling to put it on or feeling to put on their electricity in the first place. Um, so this is why I, I've been noising about how to help cut your gas use and your electricity use around the home to, well, started off, I took a table out to the street corner near my home and started telling my neighbours and it turned out chatting to my neighbours with a little table with a little sign. I got more feedback and more interaction with just the people passing by the street corner than I had with thousands of followers on Twitter over years and years. So uh, I'm feeling quite happy about it. And these documents are available online. And in fact, they're going to be published by Byline Scotland. They are. I believe. They are. Um, we do plan on going into depth on what Gordon's telling you. I have read them and they are very good tips but in short gordon has summarized the best ways to save money at home i'm already using some of them but that is for another episode and another article i'd just like to thank gordon for speaking to us this has been a lot of information for me to take away i've, I've honestly they say every day is a school day and I, I i'm glad i turned up to school today that's what that's what i'll say well, thank you very much, Gordon, for talking to me today. I'm sure the listeners want to hear more about this and they'll be able to hear and read more about this in future editions of Byline Scotland and upcoming episodes of the WeWord podcast. Thanks very much, Gordon, and take care. Thank you very much. And thank you to the listeners. Thanks, everyone.